Hi, this is Michael Shapiro, and welcome back to the Delacorte Review Podcast, where in each episode we talk with a writer about how his or her story came to be, meaning all that went wrong and ultimately right in bringing to life a story that needed to be told. As in season one, each of these writers has a story that appears in this issue of the review, five stories built around a single theme. In this issue, that theme is silence. Paul Colford had been a big city newspaper reporter for decades, and though he had covered pretty much everything, none of that could really prepare him for the story we'll be talking about today. It's a story that begins when Paul is graduating from high school in Jersey City, New Jersey, and he and his friends decide that before they go their separate ways for college, they would take a road trip together. They would feel a little like Jack Kerouac. They headed north of Vermont, and that is where things began to go wrong. So, so, sir, we've only known each other for 35 years. Um, and what's interesting is that because we've known each other for so long and the fact that we've both been at this for a long time, what's really interesting about this story is you go back and have to report something unlike anything you've ever done before. What was that like? Well, for one thing, it, it involved... Uh you know, a significant amount of travel, uh, not that Vermont is on the edge of the world, but going back up there uh, by myself as opposed to going back up there with uh, the three guys I was with when this uh, tragedy took place. Uh, it, it was really like, you know, I was going off on, a, on, a, on an assignment, a real, real self-imposed assignment, if you will. So there was a little bit of uneasiness that I remember feeling as I drove ever northward to uh, this small town and this and this pond where the where the uh, drowning took place, um, and at the same time, uh, the fact that I was there without any distractions of other people talking to me for the most part, it allowed me to, you know, really open up my senses, if you will, to what this really looked like. I mean, we we remember it being a really beautiful place, which is why we turned off the road and and uh, and three of the guys went swimming that day. Um, but when, when I was up there now, 30 years later. Uh, it was remarkably the same as it had been 30 years before, uh, and that uh, uh, that had its own, uh, you know, almost kind of haunting power. That this area had remained largely unchanged, whereas those of us who survived this this camping trip were changed in many ways. I'm going to violate the the rules of podcasting here for a second with apologies for our producing. I want to just read something uh, from from the piece, which really resonates so powerfully with what you just said. Now, I've been a New York newspaper man for more than 20 years. This is when you went back and did the story. I've gathered thousands of facts on countless interviews and gone lots of places. At the New York Daily News, the country's largest and most famous tabloid, the accent is on daily. You work the phone, you go places, you talk to people, you write quickly, you go home. Speed, deadline, and a keen sense of competition are immutable elements of the day. And a day that ends at 7 p.m. is usually long enough to turn the haziest tip into a clear picture for the next morning's edition. But there was one story I put off reporting, even though it entered my thoughts more and more in recent years, the story of Pat's drowning. I couldn't quite crack it and was slow to try. The easy cop-out was that the daily newspaper stories got on the way. But the deeper reason for my unwillingness to turn over rocks and sift through memory was that the inquiry would require some hard questions of myself, as well as Peter and Charlie, two friends whose actions that day had become all too comfortably fixed in my mind, and for all I knew, in theirs. So you have four friends who decide at the end of their senior year of high school to take a road trip. 
And what was the idea? The idea, I think, was just to uh, uh, have your, uh, uh, you know, last uh, glimpse of shore leave, if you will, and before, you know, going off into the Navy or something like that. I mean, uh, we were, uh, you know, we were, we were close friends. We, we were, you know, uh, bonded in many ways by the same absurd sense of humor. Uh, and, uh, you know, the idea that we would go off to Vermont, which was hardly uh, at all akin to Jersey City, where we were all from, uh, made it special. We were going to divorce ourselves from all the, you know, the summer jobs we had, and we were going to go up and, and kind of uh, uh, kick back, do some swimming, do some beer drinking, uh, you know, make some campfires, and uh, and try to, you know, have one last blowout, if you will, before we were all to start college uh, two or three weeks later. And it doesn't take too awfully long before things go really wrong, right? It's very early on this trip, you guys pull over without giving too much away, and two guys go, two guys go swimming, right? Actually, three guys go swimming. Three guys, so three guys go swimming, and two come back. And that sets the whole drama tragically in motion. So what we have is a story about then, but what I'm really interested in talking about is, and I think for a lot of writers, going back and trying to make sense of something that happened a while ago, and it doesn't have to matter how long ago, is a really different kind of experience. And here's somebody who's been doing this for a long time. What was hard about doing this? I think the hard part was um, it, it, did, it did kick up a, a real emotional um, response that I certainly had. I mean, I was, you know, 30 years had passed, and... Uh, you know, none of us had, uh, uh, all of us had pretty much put it behind us without ever letting on to the others that, you know, it had been a, uh, you know, it had been a painful aftermath of the drowning. Um, and the hard part, I think, was just to, to, to start, you know, digging into the circumstances of that day, which, as you say, was the second day of a, of a, um, open-ended camp trip. We weren't going to be, uh, we weren't going to be up there for a month. We were probably going to be up there for, you know, 10 days, two weeks or so. And this was the second day on the road, like, uh, you know, Kerouac, who was a, a kind of a driving literary force in, a, in that, uh, in that uh, ride up north. We were all reading his books and getting a big kick out of them. Uh, so to, to go back to that place where it, was, it, it had been so much fun so briefly uh, and to start, you know, poking around and, and, uh, and also at, at some point unearthing long-forgotten police files about this incident, which are fairly benign and fairly straightforward in nature. But even to read those uh, police reports, which identify me as witness Paul Colford from Jersey City, uh, was quite, uh, you know, quite emotional because we were, we were uh, you know, so much had gone on that was not reflected in that, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the simple declarative writing of the, of the state trooper who, who kind of did this investigation after the drowning. So that was the, the emotional element, I think, was, was certainly with me when I went back up there. to. I knew I had to return to this place if I was going to do the story any justice. When you went back to the place, and you were saying earlier how, how it looked now and versus how you remembered it, what was it like seeing... Had you been back in all those years since? No, I had not. And... and um, 
the friend of mine, uh, Charlie by name in, in the piece, he, he went to Dartmouth University, which was not too far on the other side of the river from, from this town of Brookfield, where the pond was where Pat drowned. So he had never, he had never crossed over to, um, in the four years he was up there, to, uh, to you know, refresh his recollection or to you know, have some uh, you know, quiet moment in that place. Nor had I. It was, it, was, it was hardly around the block. I mean, it was a good, oh boy, it had to be four or five hours and change to, if you were going to go up there one way, it was 300 miles that we drove, I think, on day one before we, before we went even further north to this pond. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so it, was, it was the, uh, uh, not, I had not gone back there to answer your question, and, and I was, so when I did go back, you know, 30 years later for the purposes of this story, uh, I suppose I had, you know, there was a lot more, uh, you know, emotional, um, emotional, emotional piece of this thing that came, that came tumbling into view for the first time in a long time. What was that like? And what was the emotional piece that came tumbling into view? Well, I do remember the, the pond was, was, was rather circular, if you will. It was rather large. And it had this, what I call a peninsula. I think if you were using more elegant language, it's probably called a, a promontory. It kind of jutted out into the middle of the pond. And um, when, I w- when I was up there for the first time, when I finally you know, was back there on this, on this, to, for, to writing this story, I, I retraced the steps that I, had, that I had run 30 years earlier when, when I was um, alerted by one of the guys in, in our group that, you know, there had been an accident, as he put it. And I, I went running like sort of a half, half of the circle of the pond and then out onto this peninsula, you know, screaming the name of the, uh, the guy who was with the, uh, the drowning victim, our friend Pat. And I can remember as I walked through this, this, uh, low growth of trees, uh, back doing the story, um, I was able to see it all again very clearly as it, as it had happened because the, the, the promontory was almost entirely unchanged. I mean, I did find some, you know, beer cans and the usual debris you find in a in an enclosed space like that. But so so as I walked out to, you know, where I had been in the uh, days before going into college, that was pretty that was pretty heavy duty. I mean, to 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 turn around and to see to remember, you know, people who had happened on the scene and the cops coming and the medical examiner and everybody who was, uh, you know, in officialdom up there. Um, and, and that was, that was, I wasn't prepared for that. I, I wasn't prepared for it all to be so similar, uh, that, you know, it would elicit, you know, this, this, uh, recognition on my part. Um, but, but, but for the purpose of the story, it was kind of remarkable that it was that it was unchanged, and I was able to kind of tap into what had happened initially and, and see it, you know, unaltered uh, after all that time. The tricky part, though, of course, is that you're writing, you're both a reporter writing about this event, but you're in the middle of the event. And do you try to separate yourself out from from the story, or do you have to be intimately involved in it to make the reporting work? Well, yes and no. The part, the, the part about being the reporter was, was particularly um, uh, challenging because, I, I mean, these were the two 
there were four of us, three came back, and the two other guys who, who came back with me, uh, you know, they were, they were all friends. They were very close friends. So, so to have to talk to them on a, uh, on a more uh, granular level with regard to this incident was something we had not done in all that time. We had probably done it in, in you know, little snippets. Something would remind us of, of Pat, and we would, you know, indulge ourselves by, by having a few laughs. Um, about the incident that we might remember, but but this was this was different, and I and I had to, I, I felt like I had to, um, uh, you know, you know, make it clear in my sit downs uh, and my phone calls to these two guys that uh, I wasn't you know calling them up to amuse myself that you know what they had to tell me about their own experiences after this tragedy was going to be very important for the purposes of the story, and I was also also was very you know, clear to them that, you know, I wasn't doing this as a, as a, uh, you know, a writing exercise that I was, you know, I wanted to have an honest uh, account of what had happened and, and how to change this all. But that, that was, that was, uh, uh, difficult, but ultimately indispensable for the, for the story that I ended up writing because in, in the course of, our, of long conversations with these two guys, you know, I found I found out things I just did not know uh, about what had happened to them personally in in, in the years that in, in the months that immediately followed the accident and and in the, and in the years that followed. What was how candid did they want to be in the beginning? Was that hard to say? Hey, we're friends. We've been known each other for a long time. What are you taking out a notebook and tape recorder here? I mean, was what were they open to it? Um, I, I I make clear in the story that they they. It wasn't that they weren't open to it at first. They just think there was a kind of a, a, uh, a, a you know, a novelty to this idea that I would be. Uh, I, was, I didn't like sit them down with a tape recorder and, a, and my pen and pad poised for scribbling. Uh, I mean, it was more it was more relaxed than that. I mean, going out to dinner, that sort of thing, going out to lunch. Um, but uh, I don't have to tell you that it, it's often very difficult to uh, scratch difficult. It's often often produces far less than you, you think you're going to get when you interview family members, for example. I mean, I could cite a book I've been working on for some time. Uh, it was helpful to me to interview my parents, uh, who were on the margins of the story. But the, the interviews were, uh, did not yield an awful lot, because I think there was something uh, inherently strange about me talking to them, doing a Q&A with something that they knew very, very well, but had no real... Uh, facility for... And also, there's something to be said for the fact, too, that in any interview, what you're doing, it's sort of, it's the, it's the dance between the interviewer and the interviewee, and what you want to make it is, feels like a, feel like a casual conversation, but it's not. The interviewer is guiding the interviewee along in order to be able to extract things that that person may or may not want to say, and which is one thing with a stranger, and Another thing with an adversarial interview, but another thing with somebody you know as a, f- a friend for many years or a loved one. W- was that hard because you feel as a f- kind of you're using your, as you said, the tricks of the trade to get them to reveal things that you need for your story? Well, I think I, think I was lucky in one, one respect that while the, the uh, initial conversations, which I, you know, labeled ahead of time as being for the primary purpose of of, of getting their recollection of what the three of us had experienced. I mean, I was lucky because we were very close friends. We still are very close friends. And, um, uh, and they were, you know, they, they, they knew, uh, they knew how this worked. I mean, they, they had, uh, you know, they'd, 
it wasn't like I was introducing them to some you know strange custom uh, the interview. Uh, and so I, I thought that while at first it was a little bit um, uh, a little bit sur- a little bit surface level stuff, we didn't go very much below the surface. I also sensed that um, much like me, they wished uh, to uh, ultimately uh, you know express their own uh, feelings about what had happened and and and, uh, and some of the uh, uh, difficulties they had experienced that I was, as I say, completely unaware of. So it had a, to, to say it was cathartic would be, I think, a simplistic description of it, but, but it was cathartic in some respects when, when, I, was, when, I, when I got what I needed to have to, to write a, a, a thorough story. Um, uh, they were, they were uh, I, I think they were, they, were, they were relieved to some degree, too, that it, it appeared that I had gotten what I needed, and, 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 and this was... You know, they, would, they would wait to read the results because they've been waiting uh, longer than they anticipated. But but uh, that, that's the way I felt about it. It was it was it was difficult at first, but they in some way they they felt almost party to the to the um, inquiry on my part. So I want to shift to the you know fast forward a bit to the writing. How hard was this one to write? You've, you've written thousands of stories over the years, but how hard was this one? Uh, it was difficult because the um, uh, I was not a uh, a long. I mean, I wrote plenty of long feature stories for uh, uh, for Newsday primarily in the many years I was there. I was at, with Newsday and New York Newsday for twenty years, and that was really a writer's paper. Uh, you know, sometimes some very small seemingly small stories would, would, would stretch into 2,000 words and they'd be mesmerizing stories, you know. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I wrote some of those, uh, but I wasn't paid to write a lot of them. I was paid to produce daily stories and columns and that sort of thing, and those don't exactly, uh, they're not even exactly first cousins to the, to the piece that, that we're talking about here. Um, so, but at the same time, it was liberating to, uh, you know, take a few days off to produce, uh, you know, a first draft that I could build on from there and to... And to just kind of let her rip. I mean, I, I knew enough. You know, your 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 fine magazine story, you know, bears often little resemblance to any 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 straight news account of of, of the same uh, of the same topic. So I, I had the I had the luxury of being able to write long, and 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 also the enthusiasm of of the editor who was assigned to the story to kind of you know to urge me on to do you know more more and more and more. Keep keep filling in keep filling in the blanks. Keep filling in the holes you have in your recollection of, of the events. So um, it, it was difficult at first, but I, I, I relished the, uh, you know, the change of pace, if you will, from, from the daily newspapering that, was, uh, you know, that I was making a living from, and this you know, very leisurely stretching out uh, piece that you know, ended up uh, you know, totaling you know, many thousands of words longer than I, I would ever have gotten into the newspapers. You know, it's it's interesting just going back and to what we talk about about coming from the coming to the story from a newspaper person's perspective, and I you know we both know a lot of reporters over the years ago. You know, I've got if God if I had the space and the time, I got this great story, and it's a and it's almost always a personal story. It's a story you've always wanted to do something that may have happened at some point in your life, and it sounds like this is at one thing. This is a complicated what you're what you're describing 
It's something far more complicated, both in terms of what's going to happen when you interview people, what's going to happen when you unearth a past, and what happens when you sit down to write it. I'm not suggesting that this is a cautionary note, but it's also. But I think people should be aware from your experience that this is unlike anything you've done before. Is that a fair way to put it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely correct. I mean, absolutely correct. And, and uh, uh, you know, the, the, the proof of that, if you will, is that uh, you know, right to the, right to the last minute of, uh, of this morning, when I was uh, sending uh, some uh, tweaks, if you will, to. Uh, or your colleague uh, at the review, um, I do remember, you know, uh, again, sort of stopping to, to look at these photographs. I was, I was, I was sending her uh, several of the photographs, and I was just, you know, I was, I was newly blown away, as I was yesterday and the day before that, um, by these, uh, you know, the, the, being transported back to that time and that place and, and the months that followed, just because there were there were vivid photographs that I, you know, that I, I held on to, and uh, and I, I was, um, uh, it's very stressful to to to, to uh, uh, essentially you know relive um, an episode like this, and and uh, you know everybody sort of puts it behind them in the end, but but you don't you don't you don't put these episodes behind you permanently, that's for sure. You know, just to that point, do you regret that you ever did this one? Um, maybe at times I did, but in the end, I, I, I was, I was pleased that I had done it because I think it, it, uh, uh, it, it, it to me, I, I haven't, you know, asked this of, of Peter or Charlie, but for me, it, it, it enabled me to see, uh, you know, these two. Old friends uh, in a in a in a much in a new light. I mean, in, in a brighter light, uh, and uh, and and that's you know that's real valuable to have. Uh, you know, there's, no, there's, no, there's a cliche, but there's a, there's truth in cliches, and one of them is that you you never really have friends that are as good as your old friends. I mean, I, I definitely believe that, and I'm, I'm always amused when people who are new to our you know let's say group of friends, even these many years later, they they, they might you know be a guest at a dinner with us all or, you know, uh, you know sit around someone's house, whatever. And, and, and some people will always say, well, I can't get over, you know, what great friends you've had and you've been friends with these guys all these years. I mean, they won't say that necessarily to me alone, but to any number of, of, uh, of uh, you know, girls and, and guys who are at this event. And so they, 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 they find that um, uh, quite novel that, uh, that uh, you know, friends should have, uh, you know, survive, kept those friendships fresh through college and, you know, getting married and raising families and all that stuff. So, so, uh, but to answer your question, I, I, I was, I was, um, uh, I regretted at some level that you know, maybe I had to, I had to have these guys, uh, you know, dig deep and, and remember this as in, in their own personal way, but the payoff, for me, and I, I certainly hope for them, uh, is that it, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it underscored and, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this transforming event that we, we had shared. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Delacour Review podcast. If you are a writer 
We'll have friends who, like all writers, is struggling to tell the story that he or she needs to tell. We invite you to share this podcast with them, along with those from season one. You can find this story and the others in issue number two at www.delacourtreview, that's one word, delacourtreview.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter. You can also follow us at Twitter at Delacourt Review. The Delacourt Review appears three times a year, winter, spring, and fall, and its home is the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. The podcast is produced by Katie Ferguson, and the theme music you hear is by Jim Okar. The editor of the Delacorte Review is Mike Hoyt. Our senior editor is Sissy Falligant, and associate editors are Natasha Rodriguez and Abigail Covington. Our illustrator is Eleanor Hamelin. We'll see you next time.